This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. When God took Israel out of Egypt, he didn't take them out of Egypt. God's goal wasn't to take them out of Egypt. God's goal was to take them into the promised land. So he, they experienced God's salvation. God took them out of Egypt. But what he really was wanting them to do is he wanted them to understand that their salvation was to introduce them to his lordship. He wanted to save them from where they were and bring them out of that place. And when they were in the wilderness, he introduced himself as Lord of everything in their life. What he was saying to them is, I need you to develop a new kind of relationship with me. I'm wanting for you to recognize me and to develop a dependence on who I am. And your ability to understand who I am and effectively move into a place where you are dependent on me and what I can do and what I want to do is going to introduce you to a place when I put you on the boundary of an area called the promised land. You see, if you're not established in that, you're not going to be able to step over the boundary because it's going to take more than who you are to be able to step into that place. It's going to take him. This is the big picture. This is what I, bleh. I'm just, I've got like so much stuff happening. Um, this is the big picture. This is what I think God is doing. People who chose not to enter into the promised land moved out and spent 40 years wandering around until they died in the wilderness. And they never experienced what God had for them. But there was a remnant who sat and said, I know what he promised. I know who he is. And I'm holding on to that because I'm going to enter the promised land. I think that a lot of what's happening in the church in the natural right at the moment, there's stuff happening in society. I'm not that interested in society. I'm more interested in what's happening in the church. But what's happening in the church is that I think God has said, you've experienced my salvation, but to what degree do you understand and do you recognize? To what degree am I Lord of your life? Because the thing about it is there's going to be some stuff that comes across your path. And the thing is for us to move into what God is calling us into is going to take a dependence on him and a recognition that he is Lord of everything. Because unless he's in that place, I really can't step into his ultimate design for my life. So what ends up happening is through all of the turmoil and the social happenings and the political happenings and the COVID happenings, all of a sudden you wake up one day and there are a whole bunch of people wandering around the wilderness. God never put them in the wilderness. They chose to go into the wilderness. I'm telling you that with intention because I think that the, pl- the time of playing games with God is over. Wake up a little bit in America. This is for all the people watching. You couldn't make it here this morning. All the ones sitting at home drinking coffee. It, it's, it's, it, God's not playing games anymore. God sitting saying, understand this, the place that we're moving into is a place of reality and expectation that God is going to do some stuff in my life and in the lives of the environment in which I find myself. And I'm living in the expectation of that. It's, 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 there's no time to come to church because it's a nice little happy place, because it's a happy gathering, because we have smoke and mirrors when we do praise and worship, because we all get together and have a kumbaya moment. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a warning sign on the door that says, when you come in here, you should never leave the way you came in. He's going to do some stuff and he's busy doing some stuff. And the irony is the things that he's doing is not taking us into a whole new realm that nobody's understood. What he's doing is he's sitting saying, you've forgotten the elementary principles of what it's about. In the, in the showmanship and everything else the church has become, you've forgotten that it's about Christ. Yes. Yes. And when we lose Christ, you've lost everything. Then you're just like the world. The reason that we entertain, the reason that we've got all of this other stuff is because we don't have Christ. And we've got to find some way to fill the seats. So we're getting back to what he's all about. Um, We're getting back to what he's all about. And that wasn't what I'm speaking about on today anyway. Um, Genesis chapter 1. In verse 26, it says, in the beginning, uh, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. That's all I want you to read. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness 
and let them have dominion. Period. If you spent the rest of your life meditating on that, you would be fine. The essence of the gospel, the essence of your design, where you're going to discover your purpose and the place that you're going to discover your destiny is right in those few phrases. When we have a, a detailed and, and a, a, a meaningful revelation as to what God's plan and purposes were and how we can act, actually collaborate with him and work with him, it'll begin to change things in our life. The essence of everything that God is doing is right there. He says a few things, and we've touched on some of these, so I'm, just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because we've been in them. But he says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Image becomes fundamental because what God is sitting saying is, I'm setting a benchmark for who you to be. The image of who you are to look like is to be the very life of who I am that is going to form the core of your being. Man was to live from the image of God. One of the main reasons that Jesus came was because image had been lost. The problem with it was man had lost his image. We never had God on the inside of us anymore. The reason that Jesus died and rose from the dead was so that he could come in. And when you said, I want to accept you as Savior and Lord of my life, all of a sudden in that moment, once again, I could regain God's image on the inside of me. The very life of God moved on the inside of me. And all of a sudden it put me at a place where once again I could begin to step into God's definition for how I was to live. I couldn't do that beforehand because I never had image. I had nothing that I could base my identity on and who I was. I needed for image to be restored. We've spoken about that over the last few weeks. Image became so fundamental because image, as Adam lived from image, it began to define who he was and what he was all about. And as a result of that, he began to reflect God's likeness in the world. That is the whole purpose of image. Image gives us the benchmark. It's the essence. It's the substance. It's the source of what we to to derive our sense of definition from. And as we live from that, what ends up happening is we reflect its likeness into the world. It's the whole concept and the idea of vine and branches. What God is saying is when his life comes to dwell on the inside of us, the image that dwells on the inside of us is the vine. It's living and it's resident in your spirit. But if you prepare to take your soulish man, if you prepare to take your identity and your will and your thinking and your emotions and you prepare to connect that to the vine, what ends up happening is the life from the vine begins to flow and begins to, to transform and, and exercise its life and vitality in the different aspects of who we are. And we become transformed. We become changed. We become somebody who begins to look like the image that's on the inside of us. Likeness is important because it introduces us to a fundamental principle that unless we can engage, we find it very hard to partner with God. And the principle is this, you to live from humility, not pride. Humility is the recognition of the fact that I am not God. Humility is the recognition of the sovereignty of who he is and what he's all about. And it comes to the place where it says, I'm not going to try and replicate who you are. I'm not trying to do some stuff so that I can please you. I'm not trying to act on behalf of you. I recognize that unless change and transformation takes place in my life, it's not going to take place unless you do it in me. Pride wants to assume responsibility for doing some stuff so that we look like God. Humility says, I can't do it. I'm resigned to the fact. I need your life. I need your image. I need your essence to begin to flow in the vitality of that. To start a process of redefinition. So that the person that I used to be is not the person that I am. And the person that I am is not the person that I'm going to be. They're important principles as we move forward. Understand that. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. Image, essence, likeness. We begin to live from who he is and reflect who he is. Dominion. Dominion becomes an important principle because God's saying, in order for you to effectively live the way that I live, you're going to need the ability to be able to have authority and power in certain places. 
So when we start to have a look at the idea of dominion, really in the Hebrew, dominion means to rule. That's what the Hebrew word means. When God created man, he put him in a realm called the earthly realm. And he said, I'm going to give you dominion. I'm going to give you rulership over that place. Well, if you cannot rule, if you don't have authority and you don't have power. And so it becomes quite interesting because dominion is really the law that introduces us to authority and power. What God is saying is this. Dominion doesn't come from you. Dominion is from him. He is the one who has all authority and all power. What he's saying is, when you go back to living from the source, what happens is, as the source begins to redefine who you are, what ends up happening is, dominion begins to move into that space. The ability to have authority and to have power in a space is not dependent on me, and it has nothing to do with my ability to make stuff happen. It has everything to do with who he is. And so we move into a space where we, we're moving more and more to a place of partnership with him, living in the expectation of him doing some stuff in my life and changing some stuff in my life so that I begin to look like who he is. And I live from that space. If we talk about authority and we talk about power, authority, there is a difference between the two. Authority gives you spiritual rights. If you have authority to do this, you have the spiritual right to do it. If you have power, you have the spiritual ability to do it. There is a difference between the two. You need to have authority and power. And both of them work collectively with God. When we get power, understand this, that power that is given is only given in subjection to higher instructions that are received what it means is this we are not in a place where God gives us dominion and says you have the prerogative to live life any way you want what he's saying is power and authority carries with it such an ability that I'm not going to entrust any person with that I'm going to retain it I can't give it to you because you may take it and abuse it So I will retain it. But what it means is when I move to that place, what he says is, I want you to do this. And when he speaks to me, that's why hearing the voice of God is so important. Because when he speaks to me, what ends up happening is, I understand what it is that his design is in that space. And I can move into that space knowing, number one, that I have the authority to do it because it comes from him. And number two, that he supports it because his power is there to make sure that that stuff happens. So, if dominion doesn't come from me, but dominion comes from him, then it's really important that we begin to understand how it is that God wants to work with us so that we can exercise that. If you start looking at that, it changes our concept and our appreciation of it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All authority and all power has been given unto me, Jesus said. What he was saying is, I'm the keeper of dominion. What he was saying was, if you want dominion, if you want to understand and you want to experience authority and power in an area of your life, you're going to have to come to me. So what he was saying was, stop trying to run the areas of your life because you don't have authority and power in that space. So the thing about it is, don't stand there in your own ability, start quoting all kinds of stuff and confessing all kinds of stuff and having all kinds of spiritual stuff happening, religious stuff happening, but none of it has anything to do with God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives. What he's saying is, when I'm introduced to that space, I come with dominion. I come with authority. I come with power. And when those things happen, stuff happens. Things begin to shift. I begin to shift. I begin to change. Stuff happens. Everything has to do with Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. What is it saying? My ability to move into a new dimension and a new realm has nothing to do with me. It has to do with Christ. And so we start to appreciate the fact that God is wanting to make an appearance in my life. Not in some strange, odd way. Not a token reference. What he's saying is, I'm wanting to own that space. Yeah. 
I'm wanting to move into that place. In Colossians 1 verse 15, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus was born the man with flesh on. He was a man like you and me. If he wasn't a man like us, then he could never have been the the person who modeled for us what it was to to be a, a good Christian, to live the Christian life. He was human. He was in flesh. But what it was saying was, he understood the value of the source where he came from. And so he went back to the origins and the beginnings. He had such an intimate connection with the Father that he allowed the source of his life to be the Father. And the Father began to work with him and to redefine who he was. And so Jesus' self-image became a reflection of the Father's image. Jesus' self-image was so informed by the Father that he was able to sit and say, where I go, the words that I speak and the things that I do are a reflection of him. That's the goal of the Christian life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Why? Because everything, every good and every perfect gift comes from above. Life, love, goodness, everything comes from him. What he's saying is when we allow him to begin to redefine my self-image and who I am, when my self-image begins to be, become something that's informed by his image, all of a sudden what ends up happening is his life begins to evidence itself, not only in me, but in the way that I approach my world and my circumstances and my situations and my challenges. All of that stuff can change change because what ends up happening is I'm stepping into dominion I'm stepping into dominion Colossians 3 verse 4 says when Christ who is your life shall appear you shall appear with him in glory people have abused this this verse and what they've said is oh this all refers to you know when Jesus comes again it doesn't Because if you read from the beginning of the chapter, what he begins to do is he begins to sit and say, if you, he he starts off by saying, if you, I'm talking to people who are born again. If you have the life of God in you. And he's like, okay, so is that, is that anybody? Yes. And he goes on by sitting saying, if you're the one of those people, what's important for you is to set your mind on things above. Where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. What what does the right hand of the Father mean? It has to do with dominion. It has to do with authority and power. That's what's representative there. What he's saying is, stop thinking about your circumstances and your situations. And start seeking those things which come from dominion. Those things which are heavenly. Set your mind. Set your mind. Be intentional about your thoughts being things that have to do with heaven as opposed to earth. He's saying, I'm wanting you to understand something. There's a transformation that begins to change and and, and take place. And I'm trying to give you some introduction as to how to do this. What he says is, what are you seeking in life? Are you seeking the things of him or are you seeking the things of the world? Are you pre Do you have a predisposition to looking at your circumstances and your situations and what's happening around you? Or are you searching for the things that come from the right hand of the Father? What do you sit and spend your time meditating on? Your problems, your issues, your challenges, or the things of heaven? And he goes on from there and he says, When Christ, who is your life, shall appear... You shall appear with him also in glory. What he's saying is, I want you to go back to the fundamentals. It's all about me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What I want you to do is I want you to recognize that when Christ died, the Holy Spirit has taken the very essence of who Christ is and he's taken that life and he's put it on the inside of you. You have image once again. And what he's saying is, if you let the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will take the image of Christ that's on the inside of your spirit, and he wants to flood your life, and he wants to build it into your soulish realm, so that what ends up happening is, suddenly I start to have a look at the way that I behave, and the way that I speak, and my expectations, and all of a sudden I recognize the fact that I look a lot like Jesus, and I sit and say, when Christ who is my life shall begin to appear in me, all of a sudden I shall be like him. He's wanting to appear in who you are. Because if he doesn't appear in who you are, you're never going to be able to reflect it to the world. 
Because it's not about me trying to be like him. It's about him wanting to invade the space of my life. And for him to evidence himself to the world. Jesus never came to start a religion. He came to introduce the kingdom. He never came to introduce a new religion. Do you know what religion is? Religion is man being able or exercising the cognitive abilities to be able to understand who God is and give some definition to who God is. We create a concept of God. And as a result of our concept of God, we create rules that people need to follow. If you want to be spiritual, if you want to be holy, if you want to be somebody, these are the things you need to do. This is how you need to behave. This is what your speech needs to look like. This is the stuff that you need to engage in with regularity. What are we doing? We've taken our concept of who God is and we've introduced it to people with a whole set of rules and regulations. And the problem with it is, is that we're introducing people to pride. Religion is all about pride. Religion is all about how much you know and how much you understand and how hard you can live for him and how well you can work really well at representing him to the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to introduce a new religion. I I came to introduce the kingdom. You know why I came to introduce the kingdom? Because the kingdom has everything to do with him and religion has nothing to do with him. The kingdom has everything to do with the life of Christ that's on the inside of me coming in and flooding my being so that Christ is the one who takes over everything. Christ is the one who is manifest. Christ is the one who is Lord and in control of everything. He never came to introduce a religion. He came to introduce the kingdom. What he's saying is, I'm more interested in how you respond to my invitation to relationship than what you think about me. I sent Jesus to come and to die to make a provision for you. He offers you the opportunity to discover the way, the truth, and the life. And what he's saying is, what are you going to do with the invitation? Don't tell me what you think. Don't tell me how you think it should be. You don't get to decide what the invitation looks like. He's made provision for it. What I need to do is I need to meet him in that space. And when I meet him in that space, what ends up happening is I invite him to move in. And all of a sudden, I move to a place where I allow him to take not only the role of Savior, but Lord. He not only saves me, but he's going to start to take control of some stuff. And because he takes control, he is in charge. He sits on the throne, not me. He begins to change some stuff. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. What is he saying? Repentance is change your mind. Actually, it's much deeper than that. It's change the foundation of your life. What it means is, Jesus was saying, when you see what kingdom offers you, when you have a true understanding how kingdom can change your very, the the very foundation of your being, what it can introduce you to and the life that it can create for you, you'll look at that and sit and say, I want that. I'm tired of going the way that I'm going. I want what you have. That's repentance. What he's saying is, the vibrancy of kingdom should be so alive that people come like Nicodemus and knock on your door and say, how do I... You know, Nicodemus never asked him, how do I participate in your religion? What did Nicodemus say? How did he start the conversation? How do you do the things you do? Because I recognize the fact that only someone who is of God could do those things. What is he saying? He was saying, I recognize that you are the image of the invisible God because of the way that you live. Show me your works without your faith and I will show you my works by my faith. What he was saying was this, I can see some stuff happening in your life. Tell me how to get that. What did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, I'm so glad you're here, Nicodemus. Should I tell you, you can be one of the starting members of my new church. What did he say? He said to him, Nicodemus, you've got to die. 
Unless you get born again, you can't experience the kingdom of God. What was he saying? He was saying to him, Nicodemus, everything has to do with me. It has nothing to do with you, Nicodemus. And you may be a learned man, and you may be a spiritual man, and you may be a holy man, but none of this has anything to do with you. It has everything to do with the fact that unless a man gets born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What he's saying is the truth of what the kingdom brings about only happens as a result of Christ being born on the inside of me. And unless Christ is born on the inside of me, you're stuck with religion. You're stuck with religion. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. It becomes really important for us in moving forward not to understand what it is to be religious people. Not to be people who are, you can leave it up, not to be people who are preoccupied with the denomination that they belong to. I promise you Jesus never looks at denominations. The Father never looks at denominations. He's not interested who you, what denomination you belong to, what rules are regular. He's interested in one thing. Show me Jesus. Show me Jesus. Where is he in your life? That's all he's... We're preoccupied with all that stuff. Well, what's the name of your religion? What, what denomination? Irrelevant in God's economy. Totally Irrelevant. So it becomes important for us to begin to understand what kingdom is because two-thirds of Jesus' message was all about kingdom, not about religion. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he's saying? Well, let me do it this way. Righteousness, peace, and joy are three attributes that are unique to Christ. You don't get them anywhere else. What he was saying was this. The kingdom is Christ. Revealed in you through the Holy Spirit. What he was saying was. If you want to participate in kingdom life. The kingdom is not going to be outside of you. The kingdom is going to be something. That is established on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit's responsibility. Is to take the life of Christ. And to get the life of Christ. Established in who you are. The Holy Spirit is going to take. The very nature of Christ. And he's going to rework. Your self image. And your self identity. He's going to change the things. That fundamentally constitute the heart of who you are so that what ends up happening is who I am begins to be defined by who he is it's the work of the Holy Spirit not me take your hands off I'm living in humility I'm looking for you Holy Spirit I'm not trying to do this I'm looking for you to do it it becomes important so what what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit is wanting to do something in our lives The Holy Spirit is wanting to take the image of God that is resident in our spirit. And he's wanting to flood your heart and your soul with his life and his love and his nature. And when he moves into that space, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. What it's saying is this. When you accepted me as savior of your life, You allowed me to put the image of Christ on the inside of you. Kingdom is all all about recognizing that I've embraced you as Savior. Now I'm going to embrace you as Lord. Kingdom is all about sitting saying, you know what? I thank you for taking me out of Egypt. I thank you for taking me out of captivity. I thank you for taking me out of a place where there was no hope and there was no opportunity for me. And you've rescued me from that. The thing is, you're not going to leave me in that space. What you're going to do is you're going to introduce me to Lord. Because introducing me to Lord is introducing me to dominion in each each aspect of my life. What does that mean? In a practical way, what does it mean? The heart of everything is this. I'll get to that. The essence of your life and the heart of your life is your self-image. What you believe about yourself constitutes your self-image. 
Nobody sits and says, oh, look, there's Joe. Look, he's being irresponsible over there, but there's Joe over there. What happens? People unite our actions and our words, our attitudes into one. And they say, that's irresponsible Joe. It's part of who he is. Our identity becomes really important. I'm going to speak about this a little bit later. I'm not going to do it today. But how your identity is defined is What's key to that is a stimulus in your environment. You don't know who you are. If you were to live in a box, you wouldn't know who you are. You have to have something that gives you some stimulus, that gives you some feedback, that ignites some stuff in your life. And all of a sudden, what happens is, as a result of what's happening in that interaction, I start to gain some sense of who I am in that context. I'm starting to define identity. The point is this. Our identity becomes really important. And what ends up happening is, as long as we've been living separate to God, we've developed an identity of who we think we are. The reason that it's problematic is this. It separates us from God. Anytime we develop an identity where God has no influence in it, it means that it's not made of what God's design is. I've basically put it together of what I think it is. That was the problem that Eve walked into. She's like, I don't need to be defined by who God is. I'll use my own thinking to define who I think I am and what I... And so what ended up happening is what constituted her self-image became of self, not of God. And there was separation that took place. We need our identity to be informed by him. When it's not, we end up in conflict with God. So Moses is in the backside of the desert. And Moses is wandering around looking after a whole bunch of stinky sheep. And the next thing he sees is this burning bush happening, but the, the bush isn't consumed. So he goes over, then God meets with him, and they talk, and blah, 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 blah. And, and so God says to him, I'm so happy, Moses, because I've got a mission for you. Now, most of us would be so happy if, like, God met us in our garden, and our rose bush was burning up, but it wasn't burning. And we went there, and God spoke out of the bush, and he said, Kathy! I'm so glad you have got a mission. I'd be like, this is the happiest day of my life. Everybody wants to meet God. Anyway, so he meets God. And so God says to Moses, I've got a mission for you, and I'm going to send you on this, and this is what I want you to do, yabba, 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 yabba. And he's telling Moses all the stuff. And what does Moses say? Moses is like, I'm not capable of doing that. What happened? He spoke from his own self-image. And God is sitting saying, I'm calling you to do that, but you telling me what you think of yourself. And there was a conflict between the two. And God sitting saying to him, I need for you to understand I am what I am. Don't worry about who you are. And God carries on with him. And the next moment he says, well, God, you know, they're not going to believe me. What's happening? He's speaking from his own self-image. Not God's image of what he wants him to do. And all of a sudden he's in conflict with what God wants to do in his life. And God sits and says to him, listen, I can do some stuff that you're not capable of doing. If you'll just trust me. If you get redefined by not your own abilities, put those aside. Let me take lordship over that area. Put your hand into your cloak. Leprosy. Put it back in. Normal. I can do some stuff that you can't do. Don't tell me what you're not capable of doing. I know what you're not capable of doing. I'm not asking you to live by your own identity. I'm trying to get you to make a shift to live from my identity in you. Well, you know, God, you don't really understand. I'm not very eloquent. And God's like, here we go again. (laughs) He's like, catch the plot here, Moses. I'm not looking for your ability. I'm looking for you to come to a place of humility where you sit and say, I can't do that and I'm not able to do it and I don't have the ability to do it. But I'll tell you what, God, if you'll redefine that space in my life, if you'll come into that space of my thinking and you become Lord in that area, all of a sudden what ends up happening is I think the way that you do and it's going to be in conflict with your reasoning. We spoke about this last week. Because people don't put their hands in their cloaks and take it out and it's leprous. People don't throw sticks on the ground and they become snakes. It doesn't happen. What God is wanting to do in our life is going to transcend our ability and our reason. 
And that's why he doesn't want you to live from that space. He doesn't want you to be a buffoon. He's given you a brain for a reason. Use wisdom and be smart in operating with the world. But it's not to define your life. Anytime your own reasoning, your wisdom, and your own understanding begins to give definition to your life as opposed to God, it gives you an opportunity to live as a victim. Oh, but God, I can't do it. I know! God, you don't understand. I just can't change my husband or my wife. I know! I can't deal with the financial stress. and I know! We want to tell God about our own identity. And he said, I didn't call you to live from your own identity. I called you to live from my image on the inside of you. Because when you allow who I am to redefine that space in your life, what ends up happening is Jesus walks in and he says, I need you to step off the throne so I can step on in that place. And when he steps on, that play, on the throne in that place, things begin to change. All of a sudden, perceptions begin to change. All of a sudden, my confidence begins to change. Because it's no longer I who live but Christ who's living in that space I can't do it but he can I can't achieve it but he can I can't heal it but he can what does he want to do he's moving that's why kingdom becomes so important because kingdom offers the opportunity for heaven to come to earth We want to know how we experience God. Kingdom offers us the opportunity to experience God. When God says, I rule in that area, and we allow him to do some stuff, for one thing, you're going to feel a change internally. Because all of a sudden, I'm not living by angst and pressure and inability, and I'm not eloquent enough, and people aren't going to take me seriously. All of a sudden, God's going to do something inside of your life, and it's going to be like, you know what? I'm going ahead, and I can do this. Not because of me, but because of him. So I begin to step out in confidence, and I move into an encounter, and I begin to experience him because of him, not me. What he's saying to us is this. I want to run the government of your life. That's what kingdom is about. When you talk about government, you're talking about a governing entity that manages the regulation and the administration of your life. That's what government is. When what sits on the throne of your, of your life and what runs the government of your life is fear, what ends up happening is fear becomes what defines and regulates your life and administers your life accordingly. That's why when fear becomes something which sits on the throne of my life, I can't escape it. Because what happens is it's running the government of my life. People are anxious because anxiety is sitting on the throne and it's running the government of my life. What's running the government of your life? What's running the government? God is looking for us to intentionally make a shift and become aware of the fact that Christ lives in you. It's simple. But if you let it, It'll be very powerful. Moses takes Israel out of Egypt. And the first thing they do when they get out, they hit a barrier. The sea is right in front of them. And they look. And Egypt's coming up behind them to slaughter them. What happens to the multitude? God, you brought us out here to die. What does Moses do? Christ in me. He didn't say this. I'm giving our equivalent paraphrase because he never had Christ. Christ in me. What do I do in this situation? We don't recognize that God's with us. 
He speaks to God and says, what do I do in his place? What a, and God says, I'll tell you what. Lift your hands. Blah, blah, blah. God gives him the solution. What happens? Things happen. We don't turn to Christ in me. We get upset because, well, God, you took me out of Egypt. And God, you took me into this place. And God, you put me in that church. And you promised me that we're going to do this. Blah, 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 blah. You told me all of this stuff. And now look at my problems. But I've never once taken the problem to him and said, talk to me about this. Speak to me, Christ. Speak to me, Jesus. You're on the inside. What happens here? What do you want to do? What am I looking for? I'm looking for the opportunity to sit and say, what's sitting on the throne of my life right now? Stress? Pressure? What's sitting on the throne of my life? I want to put you on the throne, Christ. Talk to me right now. Give me a word. I'm inviting you into that space. I'm wanting you to move into a place where all of a sudden you take on the government of this thing. Because when he takes on the government, things will change. We get into the wilderness and Lord, we're all dying because we've got no food. Why did you bring us out of Egypt and you bring us into this land? And it's terrible and it's a desert and we're dying and we're starving. And God's like, did you ever stop for a moment and say, what do we do? You know what the problem was with Israel? They kept going to Moses and telling him all of their problems. What I'm suggesting to you today is this. The day of Moses is over. God is not interested in you going to other people to complain about your problems. What he's saying is, I've taken up residence in your life for a reason. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What he's saying is, there's stuff that's going to happen in your life. I didn't say stuff's not going to happen. I said, who's sitting on the throne when it does happen? Who's running the government of your life when that hits? The government of my life becomes important. You know, our government is run because we have a legislative branch. Now, the legislative branch, do you know what they do? This is, this is a church. This is, not, this is not a history class. The legislative branch makes the rules. Okay? So you have a legislative branch to your life. It's called the heart of who you are. When it talks about your heart, it's not talking about your ticker. It's talking about the very essence of your being. The very essence of your being gets to make the laws of your life. I'm proposing to you that the essence of your being is your self-image. The essence of your life is your self-image. Why does God say, guard your heart with all diligence? What he's saying is, guard what you go to. Guard what image you allow to have influence in defining your self-image. Because when you allow something to, be, to, to define your self-image, which is not of me, what you're doing is you're putting it on the throne of your life. And what you're saying to it is if you sit on the throne, you get legislative rights. You get to make the laws and the rules which govern my body. Laws are rules. Rules influence the actions that we engage in and they are monitored by a governing authority what sits on the throne is going to govern it we have a legislative branch but we also have an executive branch the executive branch is there to carry out the laws the executive branch is all the parts that constitute your soul your thinking. When the government issues a law, and this is what it's about, and it's a silly example, it's a simple one, I use it because I think it makes the point. When fear is sitting on the throne of your life, and you're encountering a situation, and fear is there, what ends up happening? All of a sudden, all I can think about is, this is going to go wrong, and that's not going to work out, and I don't have the ability to do this, and I can't do that. And What's happening? The executive branch has kicked in. The executive branch is running according to the rules. 
Gee, I feel so bad. I don't know if I'm going to make this. I'm sweating bullets all the time. I'm feeling so anxious about stuff. I'm worried and I can't sleep at night. What's happened? The executive branch has kicked in. My feelings are linking into whatever's making the rules in my life. What ends up happening is I, I decided to do this. And everybody around you says that's the dumbest decision. Why did you make it? The executive branch kicked in. You see it with people all the time. Have you ever seen somebody who's in love with somebody? And you look at them and you sit and think that is the worst, worst person for them to marry. There is no future in that. There is no future. And what happens? On every score that you look at, you sit and say, you know what? They're failure, 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 failure. Absolutely nothing. But I love them. What are they saying? There's something that's sitting on the throne of my life. And it doesn't matter if everything else is wrong. The fact of the matter is the executive branch is going to kick in. And it's going to be like, I love him. I feel for him. He's so fabulous. I think he's great. And you're looking at he's so great. What on earth? Where, where are you looking? What's happening? The executive branch is kicking in. Jesus is sitting saying, Christ wants to run the government of your life. What he's saying is, when Christ moves into that space, and Christ begins to redefine my image according to the image of Christ, what I do is I put him on the throne of my life. And when I put him on the throne of my life, I'm sitting saying, I'm giving you the prerogative to make the rules, to set the constitution for my life. Because when you do that, what will end up happening is the executive branch, the way that I think about things, my disposition to life, the way that I feel about my circumstance and my situation, the way that I feel about my ability to be able to engage with that the decisions that I make in moving forward all of a sudden all of that stuff becomes secondary and tertiary why? because it's all executive stuff it follows the rules and the laws Christ in me hope of glory it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me why? because I'm recognizing the fact that my self image As long as I'm sitting on the throne of that space, I'm making the executive orders of my life. And as long as I make the executive orders, I am the one who's responsible for the government, not him. Kingdom is all about an introduction to Christ. Allowing the very life of Christ to come And take up residence in my spirit. It sets up the source and the essence for my life. The invitation is to live from that space. And to allow that image to define my self-image. Because when I live in communion with the Holy Spirit with regularity. And I allow him to give redefinition to all the different categories of my life. What ends up happening is Christ is moving in. Kingdom is expanding. The reign and rule of Christ in my self-image and in my soulish realm. The legislative branch and the executive branch is moving forward. Can I just let me say one point and then I promise I'll finish. I think sometimes what's, what's hard to grasp is we talk about Christ in me, the hope of glory. And we go, okay, well, you know, it's, it's supposed to be Christ who sits on the throne. Okay, well, what does that look like? Understand this. When you're talking about Christ, you're talking about who he is in his totality. But he's, he's made up of, his nature is different parts. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. He is victory. He is overcome. He is made up of different parts. So I don't need like the idea of Christ to move in at that moment. If I'm sitting at a place where what I'm struggling with is I'm, I'm struggling with fear, what I might need is peace. So what I need is I go and find Christ because the thing is I can't go and find peace. Peace is not anywhere. Peace is a part of who he is. So what I do is I go and find Christ and I say, Jesus, I need you in the space. I need you to come in here because I need your peace is what I'm looking for. The reason I find Christ is because the attribute goes with him. If you find yourself with a huge challenge in your life and you need faith, you don't go looking for faith. Faith is not out there. Faith is Christ established in you. When you get Christ and you get him established in you, you will have faith. 
What I'm saying is the, the elements and the different aspects that constitute his nature. What we do is we look for Christ, but we're looking for a particular aspect of who he is. But you can't find peace without finding Christ. You can't find joy without finding Christ. He is those things. When you get him, you get that. Does that make any sense? It makes it more approachable. My encouragement for you is this. Simplify your Christianity. It's, It's not hard. I promise you it's not hard. It's really simple. It's profound. But it's simple. Christ in me. Everything is supplementary to that. If you, if you lose that point, you've lost everything. If, you, if we can find a, a, a meaningful way of developing a way to relate to the Christ in me and allow that to have influence in who I am, it'll be transformational to you and to your world. Everything goes back to that. In light of that, I'll say this, because now you have context. Don't spend your life trying to understand God. Don't try and spend your life studying all kinds of stuff. Get back to relationship. The Word of God is fundamental and the Word of God is important. But unless you have a context in which to put it in, what ends up happening is it feeds our understanding. It doesn't, it's not a revelation that introduces us to a new aspect of who He is. In the week that's ahead, make it fabulous. He's looking forward with keen anticipation to meeting you in interesting places. Whatever is challenging you right now, I can't help you. (laughs) Nobody here can help you. Sometimes we feel good going and speaking about it because it's cathartic. They can't help you. I can tell you the only solution is Christ. All I can do is take you back to him. The reason that Sozo is so powerful is because Sozo says, everything else is extraneous. Let's go to the Holy Spirit and talk. That's what makes it powerful. Sometimes people, I would encourage you, if you're struggling to hear the voice of God, go and have a Sozo. Because it'll help you. There will be people there that'll help you hear the voice of God. Nothing else matters in that space. That's a space with you and Christ. You and the Holy Spirit. You and the Father. Righteousness. It's in right standing. The throne has been abdicated. And he's living in that place. Peace. You have the God of the universe sitting on your throne. It's going to be okay. He will put that inside of you. Not because I told you, but because when he sits on the throne, you will have that. Joy. I look forward to a healthy resolution. Don't know what it's going to look like. Don't know how it's going to come about. And it may be nothing like I imagined. But that's fine. Because he's got it and he's in control. And it'll only be better than anything I've imagined.